Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección Welcome back to the Podcast, I'm your host Peter Galindo and joining me, as usual, is Christopher Viscardo, the Yoshimori Yotun to my Renato Tapia. So, Christopher, how are you? <laughs> oh, I was not expecting that. I was not expecting that, but that was a good surprise. I'm doing very well. Kind of a cloudy day here in here in Utah, so perfect to stay indoors and talk Peruvian soccer, right? That's what oh, everybody likes. Of course, absolutely. And if you want, you can be the Renato, uh, Renato Tapia to my Yoshimori Yotun, if, if that's what you prefer. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe I prefer your preferred Tapia. Yeah, I might even be go with Aquino, but then again, we know what happened there. So, well, you were sick for a while, so it's it true. Fit. Yeah, could so you, fit, yeah, you, know? you could fit it in there. Why not? Why not? Maybe now, now you're a Jesus Pretel. More on that later, of course. Um, <laughs> we are joined by the Montalvan brothers as well. So, first of all, Diego is joining us. Diego, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me once again. Yeah, of course. We always are happy to have you on, as well as your brother, Kevin Montalvan. So, Kevin, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, guys. How's, how's everything going? Yeah, it's pretty good. We uh, had a bit of a laugh before the uh, the recording started, but uh, we'll, we'll digress from that and get into the matter at hand, because there were two pretty massive events, let's say, this week. And we'll start first with the hot-button topic, which is the Convocados, the 23-man squad for Peru ahead of Copa America next month, actually in what? Now we're talking two weeks pretty much now. So there were some surprises, guys, and I think we all anticipated that. Um, so just to tackle them all, we'll start by going through the team position by position and then move into more detailed questions and topics. So first off, the goalkeepers. So we have Pedro Gaese and Carlos Casada, which I think was expected. Uh, they are firmly the number one and the number two. But Patricio Alvarez is the number three over Jose Carvalho. Alvarez has been in a few recent camps, so it's not a huge shock. Plus Carvalho in, is in his 30s, and maybe Gareca thought, let's maybe get a slightly younger goalkeeper in here and give him a little bit more exposure and, and a chance to impress in training. Now, obviously, the number three goalkeeper is not the be-all, end-all. But, Kevin, do you think this place could have gone to someone like, say... Riva Deneda, for, for example, over Alvarez. Of course, I, I am a fan of Riva Deneda. I, I think he will get a call up in, at some point in the future. But if if we're just going off, the Cristal is probably one of the, the teams with the least goals scored since probably last season. Patricio Alvarez has been, has been doing well, performing well, several clean sheets. Uh, so I, I think the call up is is fair. Yeah, and he has done well in continental competition. He's played in Libertadores, Sudamericana the last couple seasons. So, although last year was only two games against Lanús, but did well enough in those games. And obviously this year, again, doing very well. And yeah, I think in, in general, you can't really have too many gripes about the number three goalkeeper because at the end of the day, he's probably not going to play a lot. But at the end of the day, Gaese is, I believe he's now 29 years old, if not very close to it. He does have one more cycle left in him, but after that, it becomes a question mark, and we shall see if maybe Alvarez and eventually you would imagine Riva Deneda can compete for that number one shirt in the future. So onto the defenders. Aldo Corso makes it maybe a, a slight surprise to some people, but he's also the best 
I think, backup option at right back for Luis Abincula at the moment. But guys, five center backs made the cut. And Gareca explained his rationale for that. And it's to provide cover for left back as well because Marcos Lopez didn't make it. Gareca said Alexander Cayens, who made the cut, uh, Luis Abram, and also Abingula can play there if Trauco is suspended or injured at any point. Um, so we'll start there first. Uh, Christopher, do you agree with the decision to, just in general, call up five center backs, thus leaving the team possibly one midfielder short as opposed to having four four midfielders, they now have three. The 23-man squad is very much a numbers game, right? You, you do the math and it's uh, three goalkeepers, like you just said, and then you would assume that it's two, you know, the, the main guy and the heir and despair, per se, and the yeah. main guy and whoever is going to be replacing him if he gets injured. And to, to me, if there is an issue with Peru, that I have been kind of concerned about since the, the end of the World Cup has been in that we we need to have a solid defense that we know who who's going to be starting. I think at one point in Peru, it was you could go through all 11, you know, with maybe, you know, tweaking one thing here or there. You could go through all 11. You would know exactly who they were. Since, since the World Cup, who is going to be playing back there? Like the 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 question on who should replace Trauco has been an eternal question, right? In the last eighteen months, and then the 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 question on who are going to be the two main guys in the middle, you know, the center backs, uh, has also been one. So I think this is an interesting strategy, and I think if anything, it is a good good place where we can start trying different combinations, and the hope would be that. We don't risk too much during the tournament, but then we also are able to find the sweet spot. So so I think I agree. It's interesting, like I said, uh, that Gareca has decided to to do it like this, and I think it provides for plenty of coverage. So I'm I'm personally not that worried. I'm just I, I just want him to to be able to really develop those players where we can start once again knowing exactly who it is that the bottom four are gonna be. Right. And you also have to consider, too, that center backs tend to get booked more often than, say, a winger or most positions on the pitch. So yellow card accumulation, right. you might need a little extra cover for that. You you don't know, right? And there might not be other players outside of actual center backs who are comfortable playing in that role. So I'm sure Gadeca put that into consideration as well. Um, Diego, what do you think about Gadeca's decision to go with five center backs and then three out-and-out midfielders? I mean, I wasn't a fan when I first heard five center backs. I thought, why? But um, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, who else or who else can play at left back? Yeah, you could have, I guess, Yotun, but we all know his best position is in the center of the midfield. And then, as Gareca said, Alvincula, Abram, or Cadenz can play there. I personally feel like the center backs, going off of what um, – Going off of what Viz said, I feel like the three main center backs are going to be Santa Maria, Araujo, and Abraham. So I just feel like we need to hope that Trauco doesn't get booked. I just don't, I'm not a big fan of Abraham or Callens playing there, or even Alvincula, really, because I think he does much better on the right, uh, playing alongside uh, Carrillo going up the flank. Fair enough. Kevin, sort of on that same subject, but also maybe kind of transitioning in terms of like why Marcos Lopez didn't get into the squad because there were reports that he was going to be one of those quote-unquote surprises that made it. Um, mm -hmm. 
do you think that Gadeca made the right choice in the end, leaving Lopez behind and then opting for the five center backs and maybe going with that emergency situation of, okay, Cayens can play there, uh, Abram can play there, whoever it happens to be? Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the, the, the change from Peruvian League to MLS has kind of been a, a little bit jarring for Marcos Lopez. He's, he's had to step up his game, and he's, he's gotten less minutes as the season progressed. I believe at, at this point he's just a substitute, and that probably affected his chances of making the final 23. I think Gareca is trying to prioritize this tournament. If, if I already have, you know, if I'm already not picking Loyola because he's not playing, does Lopez really have that much of an edge on him if it's, you know, almost same conditions? And then I think he just decided to post for people that have he has relied on and he's already seen in camp, um, like Abraham Gallens, as opposed to, you know, picking up Mifling or, or another left back. Uh, yeah, Lopez... Just to kind of clarify for those who might be interested in the numbers, he only has 330 minutes in MLS this season and hasn't played in a single game since April 13th, which is, I think, based on rough math, is like eight games ago. So he would definitely be coming in rusty and he'd be playing in a position that, okay, he has played there in the past and has played there for San Jose this season, but at the end of the day, are you really comfortable putting him in a situation like that against, say, a Brazil? or a Colombia or someone of that stature. Maybe, maybe not. Sure, Miguel Trauco has had his his issues in terms of locking down a spot, but at least you know what you're getting from him. Um, and you just got to hope he doesn't get booked and make sure he has plenty of protection on that flank. End of the day, that's, that's what he'll need. So let's sort of move on to other individual players because one very divisive player who I think everybody has an opinion on, that is Carlos Sambrano. Um, he gets in after impressing for Basel, especially in the second half of the Swiss Super League season. Um, surprisingly, though, when we were singing his praises a couple weeks ago for kind of watching his discipline and making sure he doesn't get sent off, guess what? He gets sent off the very next game. So, classic Carlos Sembrano, always kind of letting us down right when we get confident. Um, but I think all of us, except for Christopher, understand the call-up, or at least uh slightly agree with the call-up and i totally get why christopher is against it i think any peru fan can definitely understand that side of it but for the sake of the argument viz why are you for lack of a better term anti-sambrano in this 23-man squad well the 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 thing is uh i if you go by pure logic if you go by pure numbers then uh, i think that you can argue fairly well that yeah he he's probably earned a spot in the in the 23 man squad but honestly can one really isolate the player and turn him into nothing but numbers i think that there has to be a wholesome approach on when you look at players which means that you have to observe all the other aspects and in that regard i can go as far as say that there's literally songs about how terrible Zambrano has been at times. There's literally <laughs> songs. And so now, not that those songs are going to go down in history as the greatest hits, but but like it's been consistent in the, in the history of Zambrano with the national team that when we have needed him the most, he has disappointed us, right? And so therefore, to me, his three strikes ran out like a few years back. Now, I understand that with the beginning of a new cycle, with a new, you know, Copa America, with a new World Cup qualifiers just around the corner, you have to 
kind of rearrange things and kind of you start over from scratch, right? And you open the door to everyone once again. You can say that he has done his penitence, you know, and that he is now a better version of Sambrano than he was in the past. I don't know. You know, it's, I think it's an issue of trust with me, uh, especially when you see that the national team and that Peru in general has had plenty of other players in, in that position. I mean, this is kind of just what we were talking about a second ago. It's like, we got options. We were not as desperate to find a replacement for the position that Zambrano plays as we are, for example, to find our next Paolo Guerrero. You know, that that's a worry right there. We know that Paolo's at the end of his career. You know, so therefore, it's not, to me... I guess I, I am going to be, in the end, willing to give him a chance because, obviously, he's already part of the squad. But uh, he does not fill me with trust because of his of his past experiences. And I think any fan that followed the 2014 World Cup qualifying campaign <laughs> still has very vivid memories. Or even the 2015 World Cup, not World Cup, 2015 Copa America in Chile, Still has very vivid memories of oh God. just semi final man wanting yeah, wanting to pull your hair and just say Zambrano again. But any anyways, that those are kind of my reasons why I am maybe not necessarily anti Sambrano, but at least very hesitant. Fair enough. Uh, Diego, you were going to go to bat for, I think, everybody else on this side <laughs> of the spectrum. So, And I can see you're ready to jump in. Oh, so, Diego, go ahead. Give us give us your, your best pro-Sambrano uh, <laughs> argument. The first thing I would want to say or ask Viz, since you're against Sambrano, I would say, who would who would you then call up? If you're taking five center backs, who would you call up? Uh, <laughs> considering that we already talked about Callens, Callens has made the cut. Do we we have mentioned Marcos Lopez and I'll, I, I if I'm not mistaken he has had some experience in in that regard. There's a, a name that escapes my mind that Brian was mentioned in the chat. Chavez, 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 I think, made the 40 Chavez would have also Chavez would have also been an interesting p- player. And let's not forget that there has been some issues with Ramos. I get it, I get it, but um, I, I think that the Ramos Sambrano argument is still fifty fifty. I, I think I could have seen it go. I feel like almost like a flip of the coin. I could have seen it go either way, and you could still argue that some that Ramos could have replaced Sambrano in that position. I think I think Sambrano wins out on that fifty-fifty because Sambrano has been playing more. He's been more consistent aside from that one red card. He's been playing more consistent, scored a goal. So I feel there he wins out against Ramos, where he he he's played, but. In important games, he hasn't played as much. He's been dropped to the bench, or he didn't even make it to in the last game. Well, there there is reasons why Ramos did not make it to the last game. Uh, some of them being, to be fair, to be fair, there has been some off the pitch issues that have been, you know, rumored around on the internet. Uh, but also, you could also argue that it's because his contract with Melgar ends June first, and it's like, well, if he's going to be on his way out the door anyways. We might as well use one of our guys that's going to be here with us, not not knowing of where Ramos is going to go, and that's the thing because we we have had people like this in the past where Gareca has been like, uh, well he's not playing a lot on his team, but I want to keep him active, Trauco. so therefore, what was that? Like Trauco. Trauco. Trauco, yeah, yeah. 
man who I, I want to say Tapia at some point kind no. of did a similar thing. So so that's why I, I understand your arguments, but then again, exploring Gareca's mind as much of a science as we might want to make it, it it's still he's still a human. So therefore, uh, to me, to me, it's still a flip of a coin, and I'd rather play a tech. Okay, no, I, I understand. I just think that um, because of the fact that we know, or we think we know, like you said, Gareca's mind is a science that we still haven't we still haven't figured out. Um, you know, he 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 likes players that are informed, that are playing, or that he trusts, like Trauco, because he's really not playing, but he trusts him. He knows what he's gonna get from him. He knows what he's gonna get from Cueva. I think Sambrano is one of those that he's seen the growth that he's made over these three years um, where he hasn't been called up. And I think um, this is me just thinking, just thinking that he thinks that maybe, all right, let's give him a shot. Let's see how he's going to do in the group. He's obviously not going to be a starter right now, but you know, let's see maybe against Bolivia, maybe against a side where he, we don't risk as much. That's what I think. Yeah, I guess including the friendlies, you can include the friendlies in there and say, you know, give him give him some minutes against Costa Rica and see yeah. what he can do. Like like I said, I I I think I'm I've kind of expressed my hesitations. At the end of the day, you know, maybe the internet's gonna shut me up. You know, maybe by the end of the tournament, Sombrano's the MVP and I'll you know he scores more <laughs> goals than Paolo, and then it's like okay, well you know never mind. You know. Listen, that's that's why Carlos Sambrano is such an enigma because right when you lose confidence in him, he'll find a way to kind of like give you that little bit of hope, right? And I think Viz made a very nice comparison in terms of like, you know, the girlfriend that, that you think has changed, but then you kind of spend a little bit of time with her and then realize, oh, wait, she's exactly the same. Um, it could be that situation too. We honestly don't know. But I, I think from my point of view, before I let Kevin jump in and, and, and add to this, you also got to think of the experience factor too. I know that there are players there who will obviously be crucial in that respect. You got Paolo, you got Jefferson Farfan. You, I mean, all these players have played a significant amount of minutes for Peru, even over the last few years. But when you look at that defense, you got no Muro Rodriguez, you got no Ramos, you got, you, you really don't have that, like that player who's been there, done that for the national team. I know Sam Rano's resume isn't as, decorated let's say in terms of with the national team or his uh stalker reputation isn't as high but you got to have one experienced center back there and the fact that he's in form and still only 30 years old don't forget that either still quite young for a center back kind of in those prime years that has to be considered as well and as diego said it's not like he's going to be playing in that game against brazil um because if he was my god i'm not even going to watch that game i think i can kind of see the end result um but I digress. So, Kevin, do you have anything to add on this Sambrano uh, portion of the discussion? So, I'm definitely going to side with with experience. I think, you know, we, we got rid of um, Ramos and, and El Mudo Rodriguez, who have, you know, more than one qualifying campaign under them, more than one Copa America each. And I think Santa Maria, he's done well, uh, as far as I've seen. But he's only been with the national team, like, a year, I think, since the Croatia friendly since then. And I think Abraham and Araujo are even younger. And while they've been part of the group longer, they had they didn't have many games throughout the qualifiers. So Zambrano does add that experience. He's been in the wars, as they say. And 
again, I know Viz might not like this because he literally just said we can't break down players into numbers, but you also got to consider he's started six of, I believe, Basel's last seven games. If you include the Cups, I think it's eight of the last nine, something like that. I think another sort of underrated aspect too, which we didn't see too much from him, from what I can recall, you know, three, four years ago, is he's become more comfortable on the ball at Basel. And as we've seen from Gadeca, he wants his center backs to be more comfortable in possession. That's something that El Mudo wasn't comfortable doing. Christian Ramos wasn't comfortable doing that either. And that kind of became a bit of a black hole when it came to Peru's buildup because it was solely reliable on Advincula, Yotun, and Trauco. Now, if you have, let's say, Araujo, he's very comfortable on the ball these days. Abraham, especially comfortable on the ball. Santa Maria has gotten especially comfortable in that area too. Um, and then you had Sambrano and then Alexander Kayens, who is a ball-playing center back in his own right. You got five center backs, all of whom can play that ball-playing center back role. And I think that that is very crucial. But again, this could all be moot if Sambrano puts the knee into a back of... Of, of, of let's say Roberto Firmino in in the in the semifinal against Brazil, and suddenly we're like, oh well, here we go. That it's, it's all for naught. Speaking of Alexander Cayens, let's move on to him because he got into the squad, and that didn't look like too much of a possibility. Um, so Kevin, I'll go back to you on this one again. Just your general thoughts on on Cayens making the cut. So uh, he's definitely our our center back that's been playing abroad consistently. For the last couple of years, he's probably got the most minutes of any of the center backs because, you know, injuries or or whatnot from, you know, Zambrano, Araujo. So he's definitely been consistent. I think he's 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 done the work. He's done the homework to get the call up. And he's got to make the most out of this out of this opportunity. Just backtracking one time uh, for Zambrano, I believe he won't be playing in the friendlies um, from what I understood of, of injuries. That's right. Yeah. So it's really, it's really anybody's game. You know, we might see Araujo, Santa Maria, we might see Cal and Sabram and they gotta, they gotta fight for it. They gotta fight for it. I think everyone has an even shot at this and, and it'll be up to that. I cut to the side. For sure. Diego, you've actually seen, I mean, you've watched Kyan's up close, you've interviewed him. Um, your your overall thoughts on, on, on him making the squad. I think I think Kalins is a is a is a decent center back. I don't think he brings anything extra, but I think he's a decent center back and I think he will he will go out and do what needs to be done and that's it. That's what I think about Kalins. But I I think, you know, uh based on based on form, based on you know, the players that you know, I think I understand why he called Kalins up. And again, it's not like he didn't have many other options in terms of like players that he could trust right. to fill that role. Has Kalins impressed in a Peru shirt recently? No, not at all. In fact, th- that U.S. friendly, which I'll, I'll ask Visibo because he was there in October in uh, in Connecticut, he looked pretty shaky at times. And at that point, we maybe thought, ooh, has Kalins maybe blown his opportunity? We don't know. Um, but it seems like Gadeca still trusts him, which I guess is good to see that he doesn't lose faith in just one or two matches. Um, so, Viz, you did see Kayans in that game. B- based on what you saw there, based on what you've seen or read of him at New York City, do you think that it's a justified call-up for him? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that uh, putting on the, the national jersey weighs heavily, and I, and I kind of want to say that that was probably uh, what got the best of him. Like you said, he was a little shaky. Uh, also, kind of jumping in into like an already built puzzle and trying to figure out how he fit in. 
he himself fit in into all of this. But overall, it, it wasn't terrible. The U.S. was, I want to say, fairly forgiving also because it was also a site that was in, in construction at the time. Yeah. Uh, so, so therefore, I think it's justified. I think it's justified. I, I don't have much of a hesitation. I think I'm once again going to trust Gareka on this one. And uh, I'm sure that he'll, like, we, like we've already said, you know, Cannons and Sambrano are probably the last ones on the list, especially when we got so much good talent on that first half of the list anyway. No, for sure. Um, now, we did get a question about Christian Ramos. We kind of already answered it a little bit, but we can always reiterate specifically why th this is the case in the question, which I will now read. Uh, Luis Awayo at El Awayo 98 asking, why do you think Areca decided to exclude Ramos from the 23? Uh, so Diego, maybe go into detail why you think Gareca excluded him. He also did talk about it in the press conference today uh, briefly. Basically going off of what Gareca said, you know, he was at Al-Nassar, started off, started off fine there, then for some reason stopped playing. Moved to moved to Melgar, hasn't played too too much, hasn't been consistent. Basically, the consistency won out. I think the consistency from all our center backs. If you look at it, all the center backs that he called up have been consistent. Do they lack experience? Yes. I mean, Sambrano is our most experienced center back. He has more than forty caps. Everyone else has less than fifteen. But I'm, I'm going to trust in Gareca. <laughs> Definitely fair enough. I think that's going to be the lesson for pretty much every single player we're going to talk about here. Hashtag Engadeka we trust. Basically, our version of trust the process, because uh, it certainly works so far. Now we'll move on to the midfield. This produced probably the biggest surprise of the bunch, because Jesus Pretel made the cut. Um, the surprise choice over Wilder Cartagena, Alexis Arias, um, Calcaterra, etc., etc. There were quite a few candidates in that midfield to replace the injured uh, Pedro Aquino, unfortunately, he could not recover in time. So we got a question specifically about Pretel from noted Sporting Cristal fan Abel Gamarra at Abelanda81 asking, has Pretel done enough this season to get ahead of Cartagena, Arias, Calcaterra, those players, for a spot in the 23-man squad? He says, personally, I don't think he has. But again, in Gareca, we trust. So we're sensing a theme here. Um, Kevin, do you think that Pretel did enough to get into this 23-man squad? Obviously, he he's uh, he was just playing the U20 Sudamericano. So he's probably the youngest midfielder that he called up, period. So that will obviously weigh against him if we're talking about just experience-wise. So I think Gareca saw something in him from from taking him, you know, as a sparring to Russia, seeing him in the Sudamericano, um, doing Cristal do well in, in international tournaments this year, where while he hasn't been, you know, a starter starter for Cristal, he has come in. I think he may have actually gotten one starter during the Libertadores, and and he's just been putting in that work. He's been doing things right, and I, I think it's just it's just part of the process. I think Cartagena may have may have blown his chance by by coming back to Peru. From Mexico, I think that's the biggest thing. Aside from from that, I don't think uh, Arias Alfajeme really had much experience with the selección either. So it was more even on that end. Yeah, def I mean Arias unfortunately has missed out due to injury both times. Actually, I think he made it in March and only got like ten minutes at the end against El Salvador. That game we will not talk about. But 
again, Kevin, you made a great point because Gareca in the press conference did actually specifically point out that Brechtel really impressed him in Russia when he went with a small group of under-20s with the senior team and then obviously saw him at the under-20 Sudamericano up close and personal. And then obviously he's done well enough in training to basically convince Gareca that, hey, listen, we could go with a more known commodity in Wilder Cartagena, but I'm taking a risk and I have trust in you and we're going to see what you can do. He might not, he might actually end up getting games because there is thin depth in the midfield, which we'll kind of get to uh, in that regard. Um, Christopher, do you, first of all, do you think that you agree with that choice going with maybe a, a more, unknown player as it were in Pretel over someone more certain like Cartagena or do you think that Gareca made the at least on the surface the correct choice I think on the surface he made the, the correct choice I, I I think that something that something that Kevin mentioned that Pretel seems to have is just that excitement to play you know there's something there's something about that 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 I think Gareca sees as a diamond in the rough as someone that he can turn into not necessarily like the next Cueva, but something like that. I mean, this is not the first time that Gareca has kind of taken someone under their wing, given them minutes, and actually has reaped a very huge reward out of that. If you, if, if I'm not mistaken, Santa Maria starts what? Their, his first debut is, or one of his first games is like against Ecuador in Quito. Right, yeah. very, very fresh. It's like, wait, you're gonna really throw a guy that's never played this kind of competition in the most important game in the last twenty years? Yeah, go ahead, you know. But it, but it worked out. Even for the few minutes that he got, he showed himself, and it kind of builds that confidence on the players. So, yeah, what better time than the Copa America to to kind of give him that chance? I think that Gareca has a soft spot for him. Obviously, he's been following him around for a few years maybe a few months uh, 18 months or so now so i think that at least on the surface like like i said on the chat it's like i'm surprised and then at the same time i'm not surprised it, it it's kind of kind of weird like that but I, I think it could be it could be interesting for sure for sure and another example of a player who got a chance it was kind of thrown into the deep end to see if he could uh, sink or swim, as it were, Miguel Araujo as well. Remember that game against Uruguay in, in Lima um, right. in 2017 when he was going against Suarez and Cavani and held his own, and then I think he ended up going up against... Argentina then. Then, Ar- then Argentina, that's right, and did very well against Messi and co. at La Bombonera, it might, it might be <laughs> worth mentioning. And then the same thing, I think he came on in the second half against Colombia in the final qualifier in Conmebol. So... You know, again, Gareca trusts these younger players or these more "quote unquote" unproven players to get the job done, and maybe Pretel is is kind of in that similar category. Diego, your thoughts on on Pretel and Gareca giving a chance to a young player? I think it's great that Gareca's uh, bringing Pretel, even though yes, he's young. He might not get much minutes, but he's already getting him used to the squad, the players, the camp. Um, and like you said, all those players, it worked before. So why not? He must see something in him. And like Kevin said earlier, he took him to sparring in Russia. He's done well um, with the sub-20. So there's something there. So he sees something. And again, trust the process. Trust Gareca. Um, and another thing on Pretel, just kind of him tactically. I, th- I think it's an interesting choice to to bring him because we've seen 
uh, Tapia become more comfortable going box to box. We know Yotun is comfortable doing that too. Bretel is very accustomed to either kind of sitting deep in, in more of that Aquino role and maybe orchestrating the midfield that way. But he's also totally cool pushing up and, and dictating the tempo going forward. So Gareca has flexibility in that regard. So he might only have three out and out central midfielders, but they can all play in a variety of different ways, which I think he'll like to have. On that same subject, Christopher, I'll go to you on this one, actually, because again, there are only three out and out central midfielders. There are talks that perhaps Edison Flores could drop into one of those two spots if need be. Joshua Yotun is apparently going to be injured and out of the friendlies. So kind of mixed in with this question, how would Peru line up if Yoshimar Yotun gets injured? And uh, that was asked by Juan Fran Villanueva. He added, hopefully it doesn't happen. But how do you see Peru lining up if Yotun gets injured? In other words, maybe who do you see replacing him if necessary? Oh, that's <laughs> that's that's a tough question. Uh, you're putting me on the spot here. That can't happen. To, I'm trying to yeah. think of all our that's, options, you know? That's the answer. It just can't happen. We can't let that be an option. Yeah, like... I, I feel like uh, to use another Avengers reference, uh, Doc, Dr. Strange looking at the billion possibilities and seeing if one of them is going to somehow work. Uh, um, so, Kevin, who, who do you think could possibly uh, replace Yotun? Alexis Arias would have been a candidate, but obviously did not get in. And I thought he might have been actually prime candidate for that reason. But who do you see dropping in there? Yeah, I, I agree. Arias might be someone we, we look at later on during the qualifiers. But we we have seen Edison Flores uh, play in that role, uh, especially again in the playoff against New Zealand and stuff. I think we might see that maybe in the game against Costa Rica, maybe against Bolivia. We might, you know, if, if Yoshi's not not ready, sit him there in the midfield alongside Tapia, and and see if, how that works out. I know he has been more creative in Mexico with with Morelia. He has. And he has been more comfortable playing centrally. And when you compare his performances for Peru playing in that central role the last time compared to now, I think you'd see a completely opposite effect these days. Diego, anything anything to add in terms of maybe who you could see, maybe not even just replacing Yotun, but let's say disaster strikes and, and Tapia suspended or Pretel picks up an injury at the same time and one of them has to go in there. Like, Who do you think could play in either of those two roles? Man, now you're putting me in a tough spot. If if Tapia and Yetun are not available, Prete is not available, who we, This is the dilemma yeah. with a 23-man squad, right? Yeah, you know? um, I guess, I mean, Santa Maria can also play that role. That's true. Right? Yeah. It, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be anything magnificent, I guess. It would be very defensive. He would stay and just be a destroyer, pretty much. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think Andy Polo also played there in... Yeah, for Portland, he has played central midfield, yeah. So, I mean, those are options, I guess, um, if if disaster were to strike. But, uh, no, I think if Yotun is out, like Kevin said, I think I think Flores, especially, I think they've seen Gareca and his and the coaching staff have seen that he's been playing uh, more centrally and he's, and he's getting more comfortable. But in the friendlies, I would, I would definitely like to see Pretel. For sure. And I think he'll probably get his chance, too, at some point. Now we'll go on to uh, a more general question, let's say, because obviously a, a number of omissions from the midfield were made. Um, Shavel at Hota Fiction asking, thoughts on 
Christian Benavente not making the final list? Um, I have a feeling this is going to be a quick answer, but I will still ask one of you. So, Kevin, why do you think Benavente didn't make the cut? Short and simple, I think Gareca disagrees with his decision to go to Egypt after having a successful period in Belgium. Yeah, I could have said it better myself, really. I think him leaving Belgium pretty much killed his hopes. Um, and it was weird because it looked like he was just starting to get into Gareca's good books, did really well in that Costa Rica friendly in November, I thought. And it looked like, oh my God, he could actually push on. And if he finishes the season while in Belgium, maybe he gets a move to a bigger team in Europe, um, which can still happen. He's still only 24 years old, but my God, that was just, that, that came out of the blue and that was shocking. And he's going to have to work hard to probably get back into the national team picture for the next little while here. We'll move over now to the other two names that maybe raised a couple eyebrows. Canchita Gonzalez and Paulo Hurtado made it. Christopher, your thoughts on a potentially unfit, when it comes to Matt Sharpness, Paulo Hurtado being there. Do you agree with it? And if not, who would you have wanted to have seen there instead? There was a time there where I would call for Hurtado ahead of Andre Carrillo, like almost any day of the week, right? Obviously, Hurtado has had not had as good as a, of a season lately. Uh, Turkey hasn't been a great spot, and we we know that I believe he's go- he's just recuperating from an injury too. Yeah, serious right? injury. Yeah, that's uh, why he didn't play. Which ex- exactly, but but I, I think I, I trust him. I think I think he's a pretty good player, and I think that. He doesn't have the speed of Carrillo, the speed that Carrillo has at times, but I think he's still a pretty safe choice. Uh, I think Canchita Gonzalez, on the other hand, is a no-brainer, honestly. I think he's been killing it. He killed it with Melgar, switched teams, and honestly, in my opinion, has been killing it with Cristal. And I think that whether if he's going to be an option for Flores or what exactly it is that Careca is going to have him do, I, I'm, I'm very happy with the choice of Canchita. I, that, that's actually one of those that I do not question. I think he's going through a great time period. Uh, I think that for him, it was one of those few exceptions where like moving back to, to a Peruvian team was actually uh, beneficial for him. I mean, we, we have the likes of Galese, for example, that obviously, well, Alianza Lima has, uh, in general hasn't been doing very well. So... And also, you could also argue one more thing on the Hurtado, on the Hurtado thing, in that Gareca is doing the exact same thing that we just mentioned a second ago that he could have done with Ramos and that he has done in the past with, with Trauco and is just giving him some minutes, uh, even you know, kind of letting him recuperate as part of the national team instead of just sitting him down. Right, of course. Um, Diego, your thoughts on Hurtado and Canchita making Peru squad? Um, yeah, Hurtado, I think is one of those, one of those trust, one of those um, on the scale. Like I said, I think Gareca is a form and trust guy, and Hurtado falls on that trust because obviously he hasn't been playing because he's been injured. Um, so he comes, and I guess because he also doesn't have to be doesn't have to be a starter, he gets uh, he gets time to recuperate and at the same time, uh, you know, train with the team, uh, use the friendlies for that, and. As Viz said, Canchita's just—he's been great. He's been—he falls on the on the form side for me, and he's just been in top form. You, you couldn't not call him up. 
Yeah, and it was so unfortunate he got that injury earlier in the year too because I feel like he could be even better now or at least could have added to what has been a very good run of form for him to start 2019 with Cristal, but he made the squad and I think that's what matters for him. Pablo Hurtado, since he kind of started playing regularly again for Konyaspor in Turkey, kind of I think first week of April, he was mainly a substitute getting you know 30, 20 minutes, somewhere in between that. Started the final game for Konyaspor, played about 60 minutes. So he's kind of getting close to 90-minute fit or at least close to fully match fit. So maybe it's not so much of a concern. And maybe that's why Gadeca ended up going with him over uh, someone we will talk about later, Beto da Silva. But before we do, well, actually, no. Let, let, let's talk about Beto da Silva now because we are onto the forwards, the last portion of the squad. No Beto, as mentioned, which... Some of us maybe expected to happen as late as Wednesday night, uh, but Hurtado was the beneficiary of that. So, Diego, any particular reason why you think he maybe wasn't called? Because by all accounts, he seemed to be impressing in training, but at the same time, he also had, like I think, less than 800 minutes in all competitions for Lobos and like one goal, which is not great, of course. Yeah. I think exactly the reason why you just said um, he – Gareca still doesn't fully trust him, and he wasn't in great form. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't play enough, only scored one goal. But, yeah, I thought, like you said, I heard he had been impressing in training too. So I said, all right, you know, I've, I've always been a big fan of Beto. I've always, you know, believed in him. So I was hoping he would make it to Copa America. But, yeah, I'm guessing that's what it was. Had to have been. Um, you also got to consider, too, if you bring four forwards – you do kind of limit yourself when it comes to midfielders or defenders. And I think the one kind of advantage that, let's say, Jefferson Farfan has going from, other than obviously his stature as, as probably one of the greatest Peruvian players of this generation, he can also play on the wing, he can play as a number 10, he can play as a, as a number 9, right? Whereas Beto da Silva predominantly only works really in a central forward role. Um, and you're going to take Rui Diaz and Paolo for obvious reasons, because those are probably your two best strikers in the pool. So, Biz, I'll, I'll go to you on this. First of all, on on Beto, do you agree with him being left out? So, so yeah, I think to me, it's not so much about his role as a, as a winger, but it's his role as being a number nine. And I think, if anything, where we have been looking for more replacements, where we have been lacking people, has been in that role. And so in my mind, he's I've actually always pictured him as – being, you know, when Paolo was in the, there, there after being probably the replacement for Rui Diaz or Jordi, you know, I mean, to me, that was kind of the three names that always came to mind when Paolo was in there, Rui Diaz, Jordi, Reina, and, and Beto da Silva. Uh, and uh, with Paolo now back and the fact that he's been scoring so many goals, then therefore he doesn't, like, like you said, Peter, does not provide enough of a versatile role, enough flexibility and playing in other positions to kind of really compensate having him there. So I I think I agree. I, I, I'm also, you know, other than the, what, the Copa America that he played a few years back and in which he kind of showed himself, what, what else have we really seen from Beto other than, unfortunately, injuries and lack of playing time and club after club? So so I get why Gareca hasn't quite built that trust either. No, of course. Kevin, 
first I'll ask you about Beto. Are you kind of with everybody else in that you can see why he wasn't called? So I'll, I'll try to sum it up quickly since everyone's kind of said it. I think as a nine, he couldn't really compete with uh, Guerrero, Farfan, Roy Diaz, who have scored far more this year. So I think his real chance was as the sub for Flores on the left wing. And I always thought it was going to be between him and Canchita. But Canchita is, is clearly hitting, you know, his peak. You know, he's probably in, his, in the best form that he's, he's ever had. And once we saw the list of the, the local, the domestic players coming up, I was pretty sure that Beto was losing his, his options there, especially once we saw Hurtado in, in the Vida. Yeah, I think that pretty much sealed it. Once we saw that Hurtado was training at La Videna, we were seeing it in the in the group chat. It's like, oh, wait a second. Does that mean Beto's not going to make it? And sure enough, that's exactly what happened a couple hours later. So to kind of wrap it up, one of the last two things we'll talk about. Some people are very divisive on this subject as well, and that's uh, Rui Diaz making the squad because they feel that he hasn't done enough in the Peru shirt specifically to warrant a call-up. Um, despite the fact that he continues to score at an astounding rate, despite the fact that he was hurt to start the season, he still has five goals in nine appearances for the Seattle Sounders, and he has only taken 26 shots, so like about a 20% conversion rate, which is absurd. Kevin, do you really have any issue whatsoever with Ruiz making the squad? No, no. As, as a coach, Gareca has to look at at how how much productivity is his forwards have and, and Ruiz Diaz is up there. I mean, he's not, you know, Farfan Guerrero tear, but he's definitely in the running to, to always play for Peru. And, you know, if it ever came down to, you know, we're going to PKs or something, a hundred percent faith that he would he would mm. score anytime. Yeah, no, definitely fair enough. Diego, what do you think? Uh Ruidias justified call up? Absolutely. I mean I think I think there's there's no better forwards than obviously like we said, Guerrero, Farfan and then Ruidias. I think he's got five goals in what, nine, eight games. Yeah. Because of games. his because of his injury. Mm-hmm. But I mean, who else is doing as good as him right now in a in a forward role? And I'll uh, I'll say it now. He's gonna score against Brazil. Wow! He's gonna he's gonna repeat. <laughs> we, we're gonna need goals. his hand. We're gonna yeah. need his hand. Yes. He's gonna use the other one this time. This, yeah. <laughs> to make yeah. it even. There we go. Yeah, yeah. La mano de Ruiz Dios, <laughs> as we now call it in Peru. So to wrap it up in terms of the forwards, guys, Paolo is in there. Um, I think we all wept a little bit because we were like, oh my god. Thank goodness he's back. Um, we don't have to have this discussion of who's going to replace him. We can push that much like I think we all do. We're going to procrastinate and just worry about that when we cross that Isn't bridge. That the most Peruvian thing to do. Of course, yeah, that's what we do. We we just we push our problems to the side. We deal with it later when it comes up again. Listen, Paolo will play for at least another couple of years. Uh, we'll worry about it then. So, Christopher. He's obviously in fantastic form right now. Just scored again for for Inter. Now has eight goals in 12 games since coming back from his suspension. That is absurd considering that he was lacking in match sharpness or supposedly lacking in match sharpness and he's scoring at that kind of a rate. Can we expect him to sort of translate this form with La Selección? Oh, most certainly. I think that there's a lot of things that fuel that fire. Obviously, the fact that Peru 
has a chance of, of making a good impression for themselves in this tournament. And also as a little as a little side note, Paolo is six goals away from becoming the all time Peruvian scorer in Copa America. So right. and this is this is it. This is it for him. Right? I mean he's not getting any younger. This is probably gonna be his last Copa America. Huh, and he could well, okay, that's true. That's true because the, the schedule is yeah. changing around, moving yeah. around, and we have that weird Copa America coming up. But you don't know. Um, he could be hurt for 2020. We don't know. Yeah, right? that, that's but, true. I mean, knock on wood, everybody. Yes, I'm going to touch. Yeah, there we go. I Thank just, you. I touch my Thank you, Diego. Here. I just see Diego freaking out. He's like, no. Oh, but yeah. anyways, uh, like like I was saying, the last two Copa Americas, well, okay, not – Maybe not counting the United States, but 2011 and 2015, I believe he scored five goals in each. Yes. Right. Yeah. So therefore, having him score six goals in this next Copa America, I don't think I don't think that that's crazy at all. That no. could very much be possible, and he could tie, you know, like Lolo Fernandez as the greatest Copa America scorer for Peru. And I think that that has to be a really good source of internal mo motivation, other than the fact that obviously he wants to make a good impression for himself. From that from that World Cup uh, fiasco, unfortunately, you know that he had to go through. So it, it's a no brainer. I think that he's like fine wine, just gets better with age. Hundred um, percent, Diego. We got a question related to Peruvians abroad, which I think we can kind of tie into Paolo because I think the answer is very obvious. But uh, Randall Trioso at ninety one Randall asked, which Peruvian player abroad? Do, do you think has been the, the best performer, if not recently, in, in the last few months? I, I think we know the answer, don't we? Paolo. Paolo. Siempre Paolo. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. Couldn't have said it better myself. Dámelo siempre. The man's on fire. He's been on fire scoring, 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 scoring. You know, I'm hoping it can, like Biz said, hoping it can move forward into Copa America. And I think I think he he's going to be thinking about that that record and as well as as well as wanting to to prove everyone wrong for for the stuff for the suspension absolutely and i think what's really most impressive about his goals is that he scored them in a variety of different ways like he scored a real poachers goal he scored with his head he scored volleys like it's like it blows my mind every time i see him score i'm like oh you know it's probably just going to be like you know some sort of typical center forwards no it's different every time and it's like he's it's almost like he's trying to do it a different way each time to keep himself not bored after a while <laughs> did you see um, the goal that got up yesterday yes yeah <sighs> yeah yeah i know exactly just speechless as as we see from diego you guys can't see it the listeners cannot see it but we were all speechless when we saw it and i'm sure you were too um so to wrap up the peru talk before we get into uh, Cristal in Copa Sudamericana. Let's talk about, I, I think we pretty much know what it's going to be, but I'll throw out the potential 11 for Peru in the opener. And that is Gaese, and then going from right to left, we've got Advincula, we've got Araujo, we've got Santa Maria, Trauco, then the midfield two, obviously Tapia Yotun. Then we've got from left to right, Flores, Cueva, and Carrillo, and then Paolo. Do any of you guys have any gripes whatsoever with that? Maybe perhaps changing Santa Maria for Aram or basically the center backs in general. No, I, I think that's that's what Gareca will go with. I, I know that that's what Gareca is going to go with, but I would be curious to see Canchita. I think that would be interesting. Canchita for Flores. I don't think that's 
that crazy of of, of a thought. But uh, I mean, I think obviously he's going to go with Flores, but I that that's something that I would be very interested in seeing. You know, I I was even thinking that Farfan for Flores and moving Cueva to the wing and putting Flores uh, Farfan in the ten. Yeah, that th- th- possibility as well. Um, and and this is the the crazy thing. Peru has so much depth. Like, like we just talked about. Oh, you know, like here's why Sambrano shouldn't have made it, and here's why this other player should have made it. Three, four years ago, we would not be having this discussion whatsoever. If it was so and so and so misses out, and X or Y misses out, that was it. There was literally no alternative for that player, or at least an alternative who was anywhere near that level. Now it's depth and quality. I know we mentioned that a few times, but it's just if you've been a Peru fan for a long time, which I think we all have. Um, it's still very weird to get used to. And I almost have to remind myself, like, wait a second, we're having debates about which player got in and which player did not make it. Like, is this some sort of alter alternate paradox that we just stepped into? And sure enough, it is because they made a World Cup, for God's sake. Remember um, those days when uh, we used to talk about Vargas? And it's like, if we yes. don't have Vargas, what are we going to do? Oh, no, nobody's going to run on that left side of the field. Like, no. it's our only option. He's our only no. hope. No one has the huevos. No one has the exactly. huevos of, of, of Vargas. I am My just God. so glad we're past that period, for sure. Yeah, I think we all are, let's be honest. So let's move on from Peru to a Peruvian club performing well in continental competition. Melgar was an embarrassment. Um, Jorge Patasso stepped down. Uh, the guys talked about this on the show last week. But Cristal advances to the round of 16 after knocking off Unión Española pretty much very comfortable work for them in the end. So they're going to get Sulia in the round of 16 now. So Kevin, what do you think of, first of all, what do you think of Cristal's performance in those two legs and also the matchup in general against Sulia? So I, I had mentioned last podcast a little bit of how they, uh, they've, they've basically found the way that they want to play, how they want to confront these tournaments but I, I, I'm gonna be honest. The biggest surprise to me was they kept two clean sheets. <laughs> that, that to me was just, just the, the, the big factor there. That, that shows serious progress on there. And I think that was always, they're always, always the weakness for Cristal. Decent attack, weak in the back. Yeah, that's, that's the theme of Cristal this season. Uh, Viz, what do you think of both? Cristal's performance in closing it out against Unión Española and then their round of 16 matchup against Zulia. Cristal was very, very effective. They were very comfortable, uh, even if they even if they were not playing where they wished they had. You know, there was a lot of, unfortunately, bad feelings going into that game, but somehow they didn't let that affect them. It's like, wow, a miracle, you know, a Peruvian team that, that is able to kind of keep together and uh, keep a 3-0 lead, you know, which which I think I think it's really good. I, I'm worried about obviously this the situation in Venezuela at the moment makes it for a really wild card. You you could go to Venezuela and anything could happen. Right. So, I mean, it's ha- it has happened where games in Venezuela have just not they haven't been able to play them because there is no electricity, and it's like okay, so what what do we do? But so. I, I think what Grisel needs to be careful is, of is that they, they need to make sure not to underestimate their opponent. Sully has made it this far in the competition because obviously they're doing something right, and obviously going to Venezuela is not easy. So 
I'm still hopeful. I, I don't think it, if, if you look at just the, the squads and if you kind of look at the moment that Cristal is going by, through right now, I think that they, it's a no-brainer to see him in the in the next stage. Uh, but they need to be careful and they need to make sure it doesn't get to their head. Absolutely. Diego, we, we've seen Cristal kind of go from ultra-attacking to maybe being a little more defensively responsible. It's also been made more impressive that they're making this run because Herrera got hurt. He's out for the season. They're getting contributions pretty much all over the pitch. But like, maybe talk about that and the fact that they're doing this without Herrera, the runaway golden boot winner last year in Peru, um, and also maybe how they're they're doing it without him. Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think the team, the team itself, has has stepped up. Obviously, that's why there was so many Cristal players in the in the in the convocatoria in the forty man preliminary right. squad. Yeah. You know, just mentioning Pretel and Canchita, who have been who have been great. They just they just been good. They just been great as a, working as a unit, team wise. Obviously, they mentioned they didn't get scored on in, in the two legs, which is a great achievement in itself. And now, Sulia, I think um, it's a it's a doable game. I think on paper, obviously, Cristal, I think are better team. But you know, football, you have to play the game. But I think it's doable. 100% it is. Um, so, Viz, maybe just to kind of wrap it up, what to you has kind of been the key for Cristal kind of getting into, not only just getting into the situation to get into the Sudamericana, because it looked like in the Libertadores, they looked kind of dead and buried, even though they weren't out of it mathematically, but they got in, they got past Unión Española, who were not very good at all, it must be said, but still, they beat them convincingly home and away, which almost never happens. And we did have concerns about their defense, but they've seemingly turned it around. What, like, what do you think has kind of led to that? Do you think that it's it's all down to what Vivas has done tactically? Yeah, I, I think that Vivas does a good job kind of preparing himself to before the match uh, and kind of really learning who it is that they're going against. Uh, I think that part of the issue with Cristal was also that they seem to be a late bloomer every game. It, it seemed like the first half was iffy, and then by the second half they would start really kicking things into gear and by that time it was too late i think that was kind of the case with some of those matches that we saw in the libertadores uh group stage and i think that vivas you know gets a lot of credit for that in that he's been able to really work with the players and i also feel like especially that very last game in libertadores the team was collectively defending and it wasn't just like well, the defenders defend, and then the rest of us are just going to wait out here for the ball. But they had a goal in mind. They scored the goal that they needed to score. And then there was a collective team effort to kind of uh, keep themselves together, you know, defending and also attacking attacking at the right moments as a collective instead of maybe as two, two different just uh, clumps, which is kind of the impression that I get sometimes. Uh, from from yeah. some of their earlier mistakes, hundred percent. It wasn't just hey, everybody run with the ball. Even though it was very entertaining, I it was not mm-hmm. getting the desired results. And before it was too late, he did make the necessary tweaks, and at least they were able to keep themselves in Comebol competition uh, in general, which I'm sure Cristal fans would have taken before the Libertadores started. Shout out to to Gianfranco Chavez who went from you know being loaned out for, from Cristal to second division and and now oh, he's right. a starter in Libertadores he made the 40 man list for Peru that's that's an amazing achievement 
just to piggy piggyback off that comment, I think that also speaks of why I know that second division soccer is not as exciting, right? But why it is also a good idea to just keep an eye on, on that because you you never know when you're going to get a few players that kind of really make that jump and make it successful into the first division and the national team. Christopher Viscardo, always advocating for the second division. That's right. That is the way we like it. What a way to <laughs> to, to put a bow on this. Very jam-packed edition of the Proofing Waltz podcast. We got through it all, guys. So a round of applause for all of us because we covered all the topics somehow. Um, <laughs> but that's going to do it for us. Uh, I'm Peter Galindo. You can follow me on Twitter at GalindoPW. Follow the show at Peru Waltz. Uh, Christopher, what is your Twitter? And if you would like to, this is your time to have any shout out that you may want. No, no, no shout out yet because uh, Sporanka still has a few uh, crazy matches ahead of them. So n- nothing, <laughs> nothing to them. Uh, they do not deserve my praise yet this season. Uh, but my Twitter is at uh, viz underscore fc. The Ancash updates are TBD at the moment. Um, Diego, where can the people follow you on Twitter and whatnot? Uh, you can follow me at D Montalvan. All right. And Kevin, what about you? You can find me at K Montalvan7. And P- Peter, right. uh, one last comment here. I know that uh, our humble man here is going to be too humble to let everybody know that he was actually featured in a different podcast, but I heard Diego speak. Uh, in, a, in a different podcast about the Peru national team and the Copa America, and he really went out all out and, and defended all of us and, and you know defended all Peruvians, and he did Thank a really you. good job. Thank you. Yes, Thank you. no limit football. Am I am I correct? Correct, correct. Thank you guys. Thank you. Yes, give that a listen uh, because he makes the Peruvian Waltz proud and more importantly himself proud in that appearance and makes all Peruvians proud. Therefore, so for that, I am Peter Galindo. This has been the Proven Waltz team. We are signing off. Corrubiños en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas. Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Pericoleón. Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección.